The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Continue to make our way through the book of Hebrews. We're looking at verses 1 through 4 of Hebrews 2 this afternoon. So Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's remember that this is God Himself who is speaking to us through His Word. Let's give our full attention to Him. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This concludes the reading of God's Word. May God now be pleased to bless it for His people by His Spirit. Well, it is natural for us to want to avoid danger. It goes without saying, danger is not something we want to walk into. And there's many kind of dangers that we seek to avoid. One of the dangers that we have a particular focus on here in our area is government tyranny, and that is for good cause. If you look at history, uh, more people have been killed and suffered at the hands of government tyranny than anything else. And then there's physical danger. You know, we take precautions, even in this church, to ensure that we're kept safe during the worship service to protect us from physical danger, as some of us carry. Uh, Because of physical danger, we want to be kept safe. And then, not even that, there's property that we want not to be in danger. Uh, We have locks, we have cameras, security systems, alarms, so forth and so on. Even protection from digital danger. We want to keep our computer and our information safe. And then there's health dangers that we want to avoid. Go to the doctor. We get health screenings in order to make sure that we don't have a dangerous disease such as cancer. These are all good things. It's good to want to avoid danger. And then there's danger that we want to avoid from past trauma. We want to ensure that we don't face it again. We are people who really devote a lot of time and energy to avoiding danger. But I wonder how much consideration we give to the danger that is talked about in our passage here today. If there is any danger we should avoid, it's this one right here. There is nothing more dangerous, nothing more frightening, nothing more severe. It's the danger that we see in our text today. 
And what is that danger? It's drifting away from the gospel. Do you take this danger seriously? I spend a lot of time focusing on other dangers. What about this one? Do you think that you are safe from this danger because you may have walked with the Lord for a while? May even be an officer in this church? None of us, none of us are beyond this danger. And so I want us to look at two serious considerations about the real danger that, that each one of us faces. The first is the danger itself. We're going to spend the majority of the time on that. And then the second is the, the confirmation that is God's word comes true. And so, first, let's consider the danger itself, which is drifting. And look at verse 1 again. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now that this passage begins with therefore, means it ties it to the previous passage. It's a conclusion from the previous passage. Previous passage, all of chapter 1, talked about the superiority of Christ, greater than the angels. And then from that, the author concludes, therefore we need to pay closer attention to what we have heard. And the reason that's his conclusion is because what he goes on to say. There is something declared by angels. That's referring to the Old Covenant. And if that proved reliable, and people re received sure punishment for violating that, then how much more if we neglect something spoken and declared by someone greater, superior to angels, our Lord Jesus Christ. Angels have spoken. Our Lord has spoken. What was declared by angels when it was ignored received severe punishment. How much more that which is declared by someone superior to the angels. And we're going to look at those verses in just a little bit. But what I want to do is I want to talk for a moment about warning passages. Because here we see the first of five warning passages in Hebrews. There's been a lot of confusion and controversy stirred up by warning passages. The controversy centers on whether or not the warning passages are for believers, and if so, how are they used? Well, warning passages are indeed addressed to believers, because we see here in Hebrews 2, this letter written to believers, we have a warning. And these uh, warning passages really are addressed to professing believers. So you look out in the, the community of those who profess Christ, members of a church, and it is addressed to every one of them. So it is addressed to believers, but how should they be used? Well, many times warning passages get overused in kind of legalistic circles where you only hear threats and no gospel comfort, or at least the gospel comfort gets completely overshadowed by the threats and doom of uh, the law. On the same note, warning passages get used wrongly where the distinction between the law, do these things, and the gospel, this has been done for you freely, get blurred. And how does that happen? 
Well, it, it happens when the, the warning passages are given and the sense or the implication or even the explicit thing said is you are under the probationary period of the covenant of works where eternal life is promised so long as you have enough obedience to stand before God. Be obedient because you're going to have to stand before God and you better have enough and it better be good enough to stand before God. You're on notice. And this is where your assurance is taken away because your salvation continuing before God is dependent upon how well you perform, how well you do in the Christian life, your good works, the quality of them, the amount of them, which is often undefined. Christ did His part in dying for you, but now you need to do your part in making sure you're being good. And the threats of hell, the threats of the law, are used as motivation to keep you on the treadmill of works. Look, if you don't obey, you will go to hell. You need to fight sin in order to stay out of hell. And often there's a lot of uh, calls for navel-gazing, self-examination to see if you are doing good enough. Of course, we're not against self-examination. Scripture talks about it. But it's when it's overdone. Now, now the pendulum swing is the other side is to ignore these warning passages, which God uses as means to persevere His own. You might be sitting here as a member in good standing in this church or another church, but not be a true believer. Our hearts are deceitful above all else. We can deceive ourselves. We are also prone to wander. And so Scripture calls us, through these warnings, to persevere. But, to turn away from ourselves and to turn to the Gospel. To not leave the Gospel. That's the warning as we're going to see here. It, it is not a warning that causes us to, to drive further into ourselves and depend upon ourselves. In fact, if that's the case, then we are not taking the warning serious enough. You really think you can depend upon yourself and trust yourself and rely on yourself to become more obedient so that you can hope to stand before God. That is not what the warning passages are about. Rather, the, the, the warnings refer to our own deceit, that our hearts are filled with all deceit, uh, where we know that our sin can draw us away from the Lord. But here's the key especially in this debate or controversy or confusion over the warning passages. When believers hear the warning passages, they don't look to themselves. They look to Christ. The legalists use the warning passages to end up causing his hearers, whether or not he, he intends to or not, to turn away from Christ and to look inward and look to themselves. However, when we understand the warning passages, not only do we take them seriously, but we take them seriously by turning away from ourselves and turning to Christ. Because look at what our verse says again. 
what are we to pay closer attention to? It says we are to pay closer attention to that word that we have heard, what we have heard. And what is the thing that we have heard? Well, Hebrews is going to go on to talk about the great salvation in distinction from that which was declared by angels, the, the law, the law of Moses. We are to pay closer attention to what we have heard through the Lord, through the apostles, testified to by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that is the gospel of our great salvation. We are to pay closer attention to the gospel. What is the gospel? Let me tell you, in case I haven't already, in case I haven't told you uh, in any part of my ministry. The gospel is the good news of great joy. It's news. What do you do with news? You hear it, and you believe it. It's news about what the triune God has done to save us from our sins. That God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit, became a man, assumed our humanity, becoming like us in every way except for sin, was born of a woman, and he was born under the law to fulfill the law in all respects, to obey the law perfectly, to provide a perfect obedience, not merely as an example for us, but to be our righteousness, to be that righteousness that we can use, that we can depend upon, that we rely on, to stand before God. When we stand before God on Judgment Day, we don't say, look at what I have done. We say, this is what my Lord has done for me. Let His righteousness be the righteousness by which I stand before you, O God. We take hold of Christ's righteousness. We flee not only from our sins, but even our quote-unquote good works. We put them in a pile, set them aside and say, Christ alone is my righteousness. The reason why I'm getting to heaven is not because I've been good, but because my Lord was good as my substitute. And so I rely on His perfection, His goodness, all the righteousness that I need to get to heaven is Christ's 33 years of righteousness here on earth. And we add nothing to that. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And he gives it to us. We can use it. He says here it's a free gift. It can count as yours. You get credit for it. How? By simply believing the gospel. Believing that it's true and it's for you. By trusting in his righteousness. By trusting in his work. His merits. And it's given as a completely free gift. There are truly no strings attached. God doesn't say, if you work up for it. If you are worthy of it. If you prove yourself worthy later, you're on probation. It's conditional depending upon how well you do after 
believing in me. That's not the case. That's not the way God is. God says it's yours. Take it. It's free. I will never take it away from you. And the moment you believe, you are as righteous as you will ever be. Forever. Based on the work of Christ. And Christ took care of our whole life of sin, past, present, and future, by suffering the curse of the whole law, his whole life culminating on the cross. All the suffering that is required to pay for your sin, Christ alone took for you. And you add nothing to that suffering. We may try to punish ourselves for our sin by afflicting ourselves, beating ourselves up, withholding good from ourselves, withdrawing from God. I'm just too guilty and unclean. I'll wait until I've obeyed better for a while before I can approach God. Casting ourselves out of God's presence, excommunicating ourselves as it were. Or, I need to carry this shame for a while. It's not just and right for me just to receive His forgiveness. I need to I need to suffer for a little while to teach me a lesson so that I can be forgiven. Now, of course, God does discipline us, but it's not to pay for our sin. All the suffering to pay for all your sin was Christ's 33 years on this earth, culminating those 12 hours on the cross. We can add absolutely nothing to this. Nothing. We take all of it for nothing. It's like seeing an ancient masterpiece at an art museum. Let's say it's the Mona Lisa. Let's say it's the original painting. I'm not even sure which museum that's in, but let's say you go to that museum and it's there, you know, on a wall. And you're like, you know what? I think the eyebrows can use a little bit more uh, work. I think maybe it can be a little thicker. And, um, you know, so, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to improve this painting. I don't think the guards would mind. I don't think the museum would mind. So I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to even get my best paintbrush. And I'm going to do my best work. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to very carefully and sincerely, I mean, I'm sincere about this, very sincerely and carefully, I'm going to just, you know, just kind of touch up those eyebrows a little bit, you know, and make, make it a bit, you know, thicker, make them stand out more. My opinion, I, I think that's the way it, it, it should be. And I'm going to be very careful, very sincere in it. But, man, I'm going to add just a little bit. I think it's going to improve upon uh, this work. How do you think that's going to go over with the guards at the museum? I think they're going to be like, hey, you, 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 thank you so much. You, you improved upon this masterpiece. And I'm sure that the artist, uh, if he was still alive, would be so proud of you. Do you think that's how that's, that's going to go? Now, you're probably going to go to jail is what's probably going to happen, especially if it's, uh, you know, overseas. Uh, when you, you didn't improve the, 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 the masterpiece, even though you may have been sincere, even though you may have given it your best shot, even though you may have given your best. You did not improve upon that masterpiece. You desecrated it. 
You committed an egregious sin. And that is the way it is when it comes to the gospel. We don't add anything to the work of Christ. Our sincerest efforts, our suffering, our shame. Rather, we trust Christ's perfect righteousness. And we trust that He took all of our guilt and shame, including being mocked and spit upon and hung naked before everyone to see. You understand, He was taking all the shame required to pay for our sin. So that we would be forever covered. So that we would be forever forgiven. Beloved, we just take that gift, all of it, for nothing. That's the gospel. And God has shown His full approval of His Son's work for us and for our salvation by raising Him from the dead. He said, your work is perfect. It's a masterpiece. Nothing more needs to be added. He raised Him from the dead. He seated Him at His right hand, giving full approval of His work. Now, the other aspect of this is also trusting the gospel of our great salvation to deliver us from slavery to sin and our remaining sin. That is great deliverance, not only from sin's penalty, but also from sin's power. In the debates over the preaching of sanctification, preaching of the law, preaching of warning passages, one of the things you'll hear in the debates over this goes something like this. If you preach the gospel, then people will live in sin. Or God, yes, it's good to preach the gospel, but God also expects us to keep the law. We need to preach sanctification too. And how does one preach sanctification? Well, it is by preaching the law, the warning passages, the threats of the law. And in this, you you see an assumption, and the assumption is that sanctification is divorced from the gospel. The gospel pertains to delivering us from the penalty of sin, but when we want to talk about sanctification, then we move away from the gospel to the law. We also need to preach the, the law. And of course, the law does need to be preached, but I believe here you have a misunderstanding of what the gospel is, which I fear is after drifting away from it. The reason I say that is because part of the gospel of our great salvation, beloved, is not only us being delivered from the penalty of sin, It's also being delivered from the power of sin. How are you delivered, saved from sin's power, from sin's slavery? It's by the gospel. That's part of the good news. The good news is that God did not leave us in our sin. God did not leave us in Egypt. He delivered us out of Egypt, out of our old life, out of bondage to sin. And the Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans 6. Paul strongly affirms that we are to not go on living in sin. When somebody asks you the question, should we go on living in sin? The answer needs to be the Apostle Paul's answer, which is an emphatic no. The strongest way to say no in the Greek. May it never be. We should not live in sin. But what does Paul go on to say after that? Paul goes on to talk about the gospel. 
in Romans 6, after he says, may it never be that we should go on sinning that grace may abound, he goes on to preach the gospel, the work of Christ. He talks about the death and resurrection of Christ. Beloved, that's the gospel, the work of Christ in his death, life, and resurrection. And he just takes it now and applies it to our sanctification. Because you have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection, your old self of slavery to sin has been crucified with Christ. And you now have his resurrected life in you. That's the gospel. Paul says, believe it. Why should you not go on living in sin? Because of the work of Christ. Because of the gospel. Let me tell you more about the gospel that you are to believe. And then I will tell you the commands. Therefore, in light of this gospel, no longer go on living in sin and presenting your members as instruments to sin. Those are commands that we need to keep, but not apart from the gospel of our deliverance. See, what ends up happening is Christ's work of the gospel as it pertains to our deliverance from the power of sin gets removed and gets relegated to you, your duty, law. But the duty flows out of the power of the gospel. And this is how we understand the warning passages. Paul says in Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6, Do not be deceived. Those who live in sin, whose lives are characterized by sin, sexual immorality, false worship, all sorts of fighting and anger, including bitterness in your heart, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says that both in Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6. Be warned, if you live like this, if your life is characterized by sin, do not expect to go to heaven. You will not go to heaven. But what does Paul go on to say after that? 1 Corinthians 6. But such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, that is set apart positionally unto salvation by the Holy Spirit. Scripture uses sanctification in two senses. There it's using it positionally. You are justified in the name of Christ. Brothers and sisters, what is that? You've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been justified. What is that? That's the gospel. That's the good news of what God has freely done for you. And so Paul doesn't say, as sometimes it comes across today, don't be deceived. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, dot, dot, dot. Therefore, don't be like that. You've been warned. And by the way, you're under the law. You're, you, you will go to hell unless you get your obedience in line. You've been warned. That's different from what Paul says. Be warned, if you're living in sin, if your life is characterized by sin, not a struggle, but you just give it over to sin, don't be deceived. You will go to hell. But you need to be delivered. And how are you delivered? Not by yourself, but there's a great gospel of a great salvation. You can be washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord, looking to Him as a free gift. So we look not to ourselves, 
but to a Savior. That's where the warning passages should lead you. Not to yourself. Not to your own efforts and your own obedience. But to the Gospel. And from the Gospel, you have power to put off sin. And to put on righteousness. Let those very real and fearful warnings lead you, not to yourself, but to Christ. Calling out to Him who gives His Holy Spirit to all who ask, who's a wonderful and merciful and sympathetic Savior, the friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. Look to Him. He will receive you. He will deliver you. He will help you. And since much sin stems from a legal and self-righteous spirit, paying closer attention to the Gospel is the answer. Let me give you an example. Uh, Ephesians 4.26-27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give the devil no opportunity. Uh, certainly giving the devil an opportunity or a foothold is right for being led astray down a destructive path. Right? So indeed, we do not want to harbor bitterness and give the devil a foothold. But how, how do we stop it? How do we stop being angry? Stop it. Stop being angry. There, there's one I, I still remember. It's a, it's a Bob Newhart uh, episode. and I think it's, I used to say it was Saturday Night Live. Maybe it's in Living Color. I forget which one it is. It's on YouTube somewhere. But even the unbelieving world mocks this. Where you have a lady that's, she's, she's afraid of being buried alive. She's worried about it. And she should go see this, this expert, this counselor, who is played by Bob Newhart. And he goes, okay, I'm going to help you. Stop it! And he just yells at her, stop it! She goes, well, that's it? Yeah, stop it! S-T-O-P space I-T, stop it! Why is that funny to the unbelieving world? Because you know it's not going to help. And yet, sometimes that's the way we deal with our sin. We just got to stop it. And motivation for stopping it is, God's going to be angry at me if I don't. So if I want to avoid God's wrath, I need to be obedient here. My deliverance from God's wrath is my obedience. Stop it. That's not how sin is dealt with. We don't have the power to stop it. We look to the gospel, but then even the gospel delivers us. Because if we go deeper into why we get angry, why we get bitter, a sinful anger, stems from a legal spirit. It's a heart that keeps a record of wrongs and wants to see somebody punished in order for them to change. It does not delight in forgiveness or showing grace or seeking to help the person bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Rather, it wants to keep a record of wrongs, dwell on those wrongs, see the person punished, to try to get the person to change. Not for that person's sake, but for our own sake. To make my life better. To make my life more comfortable. So that I don't suffer as much as this person is causing me to suffer. This is leaving the gospel of grace, where God freely forgives and shows mercy even to his enemies by taking the burden of their sin away and changing them by showing his vast loving kindness towards them. It's, a, it's, it's not understanding what Romans 2.5 says, that it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. 
It's the love of Christ that compels us. But an angry, critical, and bitter spirit has lost sight of this, but it's heavily operating under the law. Punishment, pointing out fault, the opposite of love, covering a multitude of sins, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. Showing mercy, delighting to show grace, because is that not how Christ has dealt with us? How do you turn aside from anger? How do you turn aside from a bitter spirit? How do you turn aside from a critical spirit? It's by paying closer attention to the gospel where God, instead of punishing you, showed you kindness, covered your sins, forgave you, delighted to show grace to you. So as we more deeply embed ourselves in that, the more we begin to show that to others. So we must pay closer attention to hearing the gospel that is preached Lord's Day upon Lord's Day. Because, because beloved, apostasy, which is the insult of drifting, does not happen overnight. Verse 1 says, we will drift if we don't pay closer attention to the gospel. Uh, this word in the Greek speaks of either a ship that's not anchored and starts to drift from shore, or a vessel that has a leak in it and slowly loses its contents. But the point is that it doesn't happen right away. It happens little by little by little. During my um, previous ministry in Montana, there was a a young lady uh, who was really, I think if you were to have a definition of on fire for the Lord, uh, she would be that definition. She would be the, on the poster of on fire for the Lord, poster child of that. Uh, she was at everything. Uh, she didn't miss a single thing. You know, church, any sort of Bible study, any sort of um, Sunday school. Eagerly there, even when her husband wasn't eagerly in attendance. Uh, she would constantly, constantly be listening to podcasts and things from League and Air Ministry. Uh, she would Really, she, she showed a, a better understanding than anybody in the church, really, of uh, sound doctrine, was excited about it, talked about it, shared it with her friends, so forth and so on. Uh, but then I noticed uh, she's no longer receiving the gospel with, with eagerness, with gladness. She started to become sour and distant and distracted. Uh, she was on her phone a lot more. Uh, during uh, Bible study. Uh, she wasn't really engaged with the people in the church. She was growing distant uh, and disgruntled. And then one Sunday she wasn't in church, which was odd because I seriously don't think that she had missed up to that point, and it had been years. Um, and, and then as she didn't show up to our quarterly business meeting uh, that evening to, to give an update on the budget. Uh, she was in charge of uh, the, the, the budget, uh, paying the bills. She was kind of a voluntary secretary. And it's weird that she didn't show up and we didn't even hear from her. Well, this was because she, had, she was stealing money from the church and feeding it to a boyfriend that she had met online from out of state. She was married. But she was uh, feeding it to a boyfriend that she met online from out of state. Uh, a few days later, uh, she used that money to fly her boyfriend into town 
where she stayed with him in a hotel. A few days later, she was off uh, with her boyfriend to out of state to live a new life with him, leaving her husband of 15 years behind. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, it was a man who was a professing believer that she encountered online. He started to, to feed her false beliefs, embittered her against her church, her pastors, and her spouse. Little by little, she started to embrace this thinking. She, this Satan used this to bring her outside of the means of grace in her own church. And it was producing bitter fruit, which, of course, she didn't see. And that's one of the questions we have to ask, the things that influence us. Is it producing good fruit or is it producing bitter fruit? Because we can easily be deceived. But she stopped paying close attention to the gospel she had heard. And she was led astray as a result of it. And Beloved, let me warn you here. Do not grow dull to the gospel. Don't think that it can't happen to you. Don't play around with sin or teaching that suits your flesh. Now, the Apostle Paul warns in 2 Timothy 4 that certain people will not endure sound doctrine. When he says endure, he doesn't say they won't listen to it. No, they'll listen and they may have initially received it, but they won't endure it. They won't continue in it. And that shows that sound doctrine requires endurance. It's hard. It's not easy listening. There may be some things that are easy listening for you, but then there may be other things that I don't like that. That's hard. And because of that, they will turn aside to hear myths, to hear things that are not the truth, that are easier for them to hear and understand and bear. And they will turn away from hearing the truth on account of this. Beloved, you hear the gospel week by week. Don't take it for granted. Don't be dull to it. Make sure you're paying close attention to the proclamation of it. Make sure that you are not only hearing it, but believing it. Christ was given for you. Believe it. Trust it. Make sure you're relying on Christ for deliverance. Not only from the penalty of your sin, but also the remaining power of your sin. Make sure you are seeking deliverance from Christ our great high priest, who never turns away any sinner, but who gladly and eagerly delivers, cleanses, and shows abundant mercy. You kids in here, you've grown up in the church. Don't grow dull to it. Don't grow dull to the gospel of our great salvation because it doesn't come originally from this church. It came from the Lord who declares this good news to you and to you kids who are sitting comfortably in your unbelief. You will not escape. Believe the gospel even today. Turn from your sin. Wrath is real. Wrath is coming. God only shows mercy in this life and not in the next life. Hear the gospel, receive it, and believe it.
and call out on his name and publicly profess your faith in baptism. Now, real briefly, the second serious consideration about the real danger is confirmation. That is, God's word will prove true. Verses 2 and 3. For since the message declared by angels proved reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And so that message declared by angels was uh, the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.19 that it was declared by angels, something that the Old Testament doesn't focus in on, but what Scripture does affirm. But the point is, their word proved true. The Old Covenant declared curses for those who violated it. And while there was not immediate punishment, yet the hearers of, of the author of Hebrews, and we ourselves, who read our Old Testament, know what happened with Israel. They were exiled. They were sent out uh, of their own land by taking, being taken captive. That's not pleasant. And if you want to see the severe judgment they received, read Lamentations about mothers eating their own children because uh, they are stuck in a city that is surrounded by captors. That's the judgment of God for violating his law. And every single sin will be punished, either by the sinner in hell or by Christ on the cross for the sinner. And so the author reasons from this, if this is true, the message declared by angels, then how should we escape if we neglect the gospel which was declared by someone superior to the angels? Why is it worse? Well, it says it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So the Lord Jesus himself, who is superior to angels, declared this. And at first doesn't mean the first time ever. I mean, there are, it was declared in the Old Testament, but first meaning the sequence here, declared by the Lord, then the apostles, or it could be referring to chiefly by the Lord. In any case, it was declared by Christ. And then those who heard directly from him, the apostles, attested to what they heard from the Lord. And not only that, God the Holy Spirit also bore witness to their message. Verse 4, it says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. Now, I don't want to get into whether or not these signs and miracles exist today, but I do want to call your attention to their purpose. What is their purpose based on this verse? It's to attest to the message declared by the apostles through signs and miracles and wonders. And that's one of the things we, we hear debates about whether or not signs continue. It's really focused on, well, I have a friend that said it did, or I personally experienced this. But in all of that, I never hear somebody talk about the gospel. It's almost a distraction from the gospel, which really defeats their purpose. But we see the reason why God did this, miracles and signs and wonders, was to attest to that message of the gospel. What the Lord spoke, what the Lord declared, what the Lord did, what the apostles told to us, confirmed by these miraculous signs, things that only God can do, and then written down and preserved for us in the Scriptures. And so this is saying this is sure. This is confirmed. And so, beloved, we have every reason to believe this message. I mean, really, this is how we believe anything, right? Through the testimony of witnesses. How do you know the Civil War happened? Were you there? No, there are many testimonies and witnesses and accounts of it. 
Well, there are many accounts of this salvation which has been preserved for us in writing, declared by the Lord, eyewitnessed by the apostles, testified to us, confirmed by miracles of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is distributed according to His will. So it's not this, I need to do something in order to achieve a second blessing depending upon how well I perform. Rather, the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts according to His sovereign will. So, beloved, do not neglect this great salvation because the gospel is the only escape from the wrath of God. Do not reject it. Make sure you are believing it, embracing it, paying close attention to it because it indeed is so great a salvation. Worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There is nothing more beautiful, lovely, thrilling, or awesome than the gospel of our great salvation. Amen. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask you to help us not to drift. We know that every one of us is prone to that, and we know you will you will hold us fast. You will preserve your own, but you do through you do so through your word, and so may we pay close attention to it. May we focus really not on the sins done to us, not on the not on anything else, but your gospel, knowing that we are wicked and fallen and deceitful, and only your grace can deliver us. May we ever rely on that grace. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.